0: hey everybody welcome to the Chan's logic people project where we're here to tell stories listen to great talking points and introduce amazing people to the world I've got Doug Holt on with me today he's not only handsome but he's also classy and inspirational so tell everybody a little bit about yourself Doug <laughs>
1: well, after that introduction I don't know what to say um, well first of all thanks for having me on I appreciate it man uh, really excited as I told you before um, a little bit about myself well, I have had an interesting journey in the sense that I started off in the Internet world back in the the late 90s to kind of date myself, but then also went through the, the fitness field. So what that looked like was um, I was studying kinesiology and everything in college, got picked up by an Internet company and was shuttled into the Internet boom during uh, right before the bubble burst. And so it was really exciting times for me. And during that time, I picked up uh, a lot of education along the way. And the reason that's relevant to why we're talking today is because, you know, I also had this part of me that just threw on a, quit my job, threw on a backpack, and traveled through Asia. And uh, coming full circle, not to make the story too long, I ended up owning three businesses in Santa Barbara, California, both of them around the internet and fitness, and uh, in 2007, Uh, you know, successful. I had three businesses right by the beach, single guy, you know, in my twenties doing well. Uh, I actually grabbed my journal and I remember the moment sitting at a coffee shop. And if anybody knows Santa Barbara, I can tell you exactly which coffee shop it is, but I was sitting out there as I normally did where I met my business mentor and I sat there and I thought, you know, why am I not happy? Everybody around me says I should be happy. And, um, I opened my journal up and I said, geez, if I had someone follow me around for, you know, the past two years of my life, you know, here I am I'm in my mid 20s or so and, you know, owning businesses, would that be a story worth reading, right? Would my life story be worth reading? And the crazy thing was the answer I came back was with well, no, I wouldn't read it. I it wouldn't be interesting to me. It wasn't dynamic enough. And so at 2007, that's when I set about really changing things up in my life and really living life more on my own terms, which really meant being more myself, which I know sounds stupid, but uh, that's really what it was and uh, ended up exiting one of my businesses. And along the way, fast forward to today, I currently own six companies, uh, have a family like we were talking a bit about before the recording and uh, we're location independent and I spend most of my time doing what I want and really working while allowing my business to work around my lifestyle.
0: It's incredible. That way you get to live for yourself and not for anything else, which I think is one of the best things to do because then you're ultimately happy and living your dream. So talk me through how you got into this whole game and, and work, walk me back through when you were a little, a little munchkin and you mm-hmm. were thinking, what should I do with my life? And at one point you were like, well, I want to be Batman. And then when you realized you couldn't be Batman, how did you get into this whole thing?
1: Whoa, whoa. I can't be Batman?
0: Well, I mean, I guess you can. I may have just ruined the the icing on the cake.
1: Yeah, well, I'm out of here. Um, So yeah, uh, how did I get into this whole thing? That's a great question. So as a munchkin, I actually wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And this was before Navy SEALs were popular, so um, I'm also 41, so I actually had to buy from like special you know, forces type magazines, VHS cassettes on the histories of of Navy SEALs. And even through high school, I trained. I was a competitive athlete in high school. At least I thought I was competitive. And I was planning on going to Annapolis, and I was doing going through the whole process. If anybody's ever looked at military school, um, you know you have to get the you know the congressional recommendation, you know from your congressman, et cetera. And I was going through that whole process, and I really was dead set on being this Navy SEAL. Uh, and really, the reason I wanted to do it is I love adventure, I love the outdoors, I I love physicality to it. I've always been involved in sports and athletics my whole life, and that's really what I wanted to do at that time anyway um, you know taking me back to the munchkin how does that apply to to today um, well really it's the sense of adventure and that's something I came back to is that sense of adventure and I lost it along the way which it sounds so weird saying it now, but no one's asked me this question before Chandler so um, I kind of lost that sense of adventure and kind of got into that routine even though I started super young I've always had businesses even as a kid I was selling I grew up in Orange County which is you know no more suburbia you can't get more suburbia than that but yet I used our backyard to grow vegetables and fruit so I could sell it door-to-door so I get candy and other things I've always been entrepreneurial and uh, during that journey I lost myself trying to be corporate trying to be the business guy um, and really act older than I really was
0: that makes sense. And it's all that journey of life. You start off and you're like, this is where I want to be. And then we pivot shift and we didn't realize the pivot shift was going to lead us in a direction that we didn't want to go. And then we realized that a little bit down the road, and we pivot shift again. And then finally, we figure out where we want to be, at least at that point in time. So walk me through what is what was the point in time in the moment when you decided that maybe I don't want to go the route of the seals and or what happened to shift you into what you did next?
1: Okay. Well, um, this could be a long story because I've had a lot of shifts, you know, even earlier than that, I wanted to be a farmer. So (laughs) from farmer to Navy SEAL to, (laughs) I like that. Um, you know, when I, when I the reason I decided not to be a Navy SEAL is I had a lot of military families that were very close to me and, um, a lot of them in all ranks. So, and very fortunate to have grown up with a family. They were kind of like a, an extended family of mine. You know, the kid, my brothers are seven and 10 years older than me and their kids were the same age as my brothers. So they grew up um, and the dad in there was a Colonel. And so, you know, he had some experience under his belt. And when I would tell people that this is what I wanted to do, they set out on a quest to show me some more reality to it. And I think as I got older, you know, I don't know necessarily wiser, but as testosterone and intelligence came closer together, I realized, you know what? I don't really want to be shot. Like this whole idea of the Navy SEAL thing is great, but I kind of lost track of that people might shoot at me. And so I, I went from that pivot and I actually changed my major from college twice. I went from computer science to environmental studies. If that gives you any idea of the extremes I live in. Um, so that's where my next step was.
0: I like that. So that's like the gas pedal's either all the way down or not pressed at all.
1: Pressed in a different direction. I'm either going left (laughs) hard or I'm banking right.
0: I like that. Always on point 100% of the time. And it is interesting when you think about the aspect of, especially today, the kids who want to be a Navy SEAL because there's so much sex appeal associated with it. When you realize that, hey, wait a second, people are going to shoot back at me and I could potentially die and I could lose friends and, and a lot of these real things that happen. I think a lot of people don't realize and recognize or understand that until they're actually in this in the shit experiencing it
1: oh yeah so i met uh, <clears throat> through this process and i mentioned i had all these people around me who loved me um and i was and i was literally going through i had the grades i could do the tests like i was training i was running i had the running with the navy seal soundtrack but in my headphones i played soccer at a, a pretty high level so I was doing all the all the the things to do to qualify, even in high school, let alone get into Annapolis. And I would meet Navy SEALs and the underlying story when I got to know these men was the same thing. One is they were very proud of their service, um, as they should be. Two is every single one of them was an alcoholic, like hardcore alcoholic. The second thing is every single one of them encouraged me not to do it. And they all, offered, not all of them, but many of them offered Said, "Hey, come to my house and take all my shit. Take all my memorabilia. Take everything away because my wife wants it out. You know, it's usually the, it was like the third wife type thing. They had been haunted by so many demons of the things that they saw, buddies that they saw get killed, and you know, they didn't have. I don't want to say they had regrets, you know, but I look back at this right. I'm a teenager at this point, and it really struck me that I started seeing some underlying characteristics of these guys. Amazing men, by the way." Um, So I don't want to undermine anything about them, but they all had so many demons that was very hard for them to control. And I got that. I picked up on that at a a very young age of kind of like, whoa, there's some, there's some warning signs here. And if this is, you know, obviously it's not everybody that goes into the military or special forces or seals just happens to be this, this train or slew of people that I was put in front of and I had communication with. Uh, whether that was deliberate or or not, I would run into these guys, and it was it it was a little bit. There was some red flags coming up.
0: I don't think kids can especially as young as they get recruited, often can understand or fathom the implications of what could happen or the mindset you have to be in or the maturity required for these kind of things. And I think you did—you hit the nail on the head just by learning and understanding the people who are doing it. And they're super real with it. They'll show you this is what it's like. This is what could happen. This is why you shouldn't do it. They'll be the first ones to tell you you shouldn't do it because they know what it's like. They know how many people fail. They know how many people get basically grind it out of the system. And then the ones who stick around are the ones who are ultimately the most, the most successful, but you always have that residual amount of pain and tragedy left with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about it, I mean, we could stay on this Navy SEAL topic forever and I could talk about the history. I, I, I studied it, man. I was in, and, um, and I kind of am in that way in so many areas of my life, but, you know, you look at these guys and like the grinding it out part at the time, I was like, no problem. I got this right. I'm, I can I can already hit the standards and I'm, I'm going to be better. In retrospect, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, would I have really made that the mental toughness? Who knows? But you you think about these guys, their jobs are to put themselves in harm's way for us. Right. But there's they're killing people. They're seeing people die, children, everything. And they have to bury that down in the moment. And some movies do a good job, I think, of depicting this. But if you look at the history and you really go back to you know, but uh, when that actually started, when the underwater underwater demolition, it is really interesting, man. And, and to see those horrific actions up close and personal, I've never experienced it. Right. So I have a lot of friends who have been in war, and just hearing them talk about it for the the, the parts that they're willing to share with me. Uh, And and clients, I have some coaching clients right now, I I spend most of my time coaching people. But when hearing them actually share these experiences, um, you're never left the same, is what it seems to me.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I was talking to a guy who was, uh, he was Army Special Forces during the Vietnam era. And we were just talking about how during wartime, it's one of those things that young men could never understand what it's going to be like, or the implications left behind, or what the fact of you seeing death and dismemberment amongst your enemies and yourself and your people who you're actually moving forward with, it has that lasting effect on you forever. And and you don't ever get into a position to where you forget about it. You just learn how to live with it. And some people can't live with those demons. And and that's when we get that process of, it's either, it's PTSD or it's, I just don't understand how to deal with what I've seen because society doesn't teach me how to see, how to talk about it. and the implications in society are that you can't talk about it. So I'm stuck in this like middle ground where I can't say anything to anybody and I just have to learn to deal with it myself.
1: Oh, it's so true, man. I mean, so I never really got into what I do professionally or whatever, but I don't need to. But in relation to that, you know, I have the ability to, I get to look behind the curtain on a lot of people's lives and especially very successful people. And this PTSD type experience doesn't just come from war, right? We're, there's so many things in society that we're not supposed to talk about. And, and I'll talk about one gender that I know really well for one reason, uh, men, right? We're, there's certain things that we just don't talk about. They're not cool, they're not acceptable, etc. cetera. But when you peel back the curtain and peel back the onion, peel back the layers, a lot of people there's a lot of trauma there that just is never discussed and obviously you look at something horrific like war um, or something along those lines but people have PTSD in their lives things that happen in their childhood uh, you know rapes molestations deaths of parents growing up in harsh environments and these things add up unless we expose and take care of them they are just going to keep fostering or kind of boiling under the surface do they explode
0: that's totally true. You're you go through life and you especially talking about males if you have traumatic experiences, you're not supposed to bring that up for whatever reason because you think it'll embarrass you or it'll put you in a weird position or you don't understand how to talk about it or society dictates that we don't talk about those things and you carry that on forever and the experiences you have as a child definitely dictate the way you become as an adult and the way you learn to interact with people and the way you learn to interact with yourself and whether or not you're happy and whether or not you understand why you're not happy so i think those are Those are really big things. And it's not just the military, like you're saying, it's, it's amongst everybody in the experiences that we learn how to deal with, or we don't learn how to deal with the idea of just taking everything, swallowing it up deep inside and never letting it out is the one that ultimately makes you explode.
1: You're totally right, man. Spot on.
0: So let's segue now. Now let's talk about after the Navy SEAL experience, uh, where did you end up and how did you get to where you're at now? Walk me through that journey
1: that's a long journey um, <laughs> so I, I alluded to the in the opening um, so again so good to be a Navy SEAL changed my mind and did not even apply to Annapolis uh, ended up not even applying to college and so going from you know the honor roll athlete to not even you know to be honest I didn't have anybody really around me telling me that here's when you should apply I just thought oh I have great grades I'll just walk into any school basically that I want you know school doesn't start till September and totally messed that up, right? I, I took the you know the ACT and all those things, so I ended up at community college, and really kind of doubled down on like, well, okay, obviously I made some mistakes here. Let's let's uh, not that any everybody does, but for me, I had I had chosen a path that was less uh, desirable for myself. Um, and then fast forward, I decided I started off computer science, like you said, and realized I looked around, I was like, I don't relate to anybody in my classes like I am the odd man out for sure now total nerd I love tech computers I'm all in on it I was just different and the classes didn't appeal to me so of course like I said some when I'm going left a lot of times I'll bang bang a right and uh, went to environmental studies I thought you know at least environmental studies I can save the world that was what I wanted to do is I wanted to save the world but I also wanted to be outdoors and I thought this is perfect and so ended up getting accepted, transferring over to UCSB, which had the number one environmental studies program. I think it still does. And while at UCSB, of course, like I said, I was like, man, I really like girls too. And I uh, was always in the gym and being a competitive athlete. Uh, I, I need a job. I need money because beer's not free, unfortunately. And that was a big focus of my of my college career too. And so I ended up managing a gym. And then, of course, being a hard worker, I also became a night supervisor for rec sports. And I really started to love this whole sports idea and coaching idea. And I had coached uh, soccer since 1995. And then fast forward from there, I ended up deciding that my my major wasn't enough. So I picked up two minors, exercise health science and a, a minor in personal training while I was at UCSB. And to make the story even longer, assuming anybody's still listening to me, um, <laughs> then when my senior year, Chandler, I was actually, there was a job that came across one of my classes. There was a internet startup, and again, this is when internet companies had all the money in the world. They were doing literally cl- you know, carnivals at their offices. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, they were the world's largest online seller of fitness equipment, and they needed fitness experts. I was far from an expert. So, but being knowing more than they did, I applied for the job in my senior year and I got it. And that opened my eyes to a totally different world of the internet and entrepreneurism and everything that it has to do with. It was an absolutely amazing experience with an amazing CEO who for some reason or another took me under his wing while I was there. And when I graduated uh, college, they offered me a salaried position, which I accepted. And it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love that story of growth and figuring it out. And I do have one question though. It seems like during that whole experience you were you never started a business around girls and beer. Your two top things at that point.
1: Yeah, no, I actually had business plans. So I was literally—if you can imagine this—it's embarrassing to admit at times. I would literally be on my balcony at UCSB. So if anybody's been in that area, I was on the I'll, beer, or sometimes back then it was a, a rum and diet coke or whatever else <laughs> we had in the house. It was just scrounging, and I'd be out writing business plans, waiting to go out. I was literally that guy that was sitting there with the yellow pad, writing them out. And we had all kinds of ideas and of course the more beers i had the better ideas came right Always. At, least. <laughs> at least that's what i thought at the time uh, and a lot of them had to do around you know party organizations and you know how are we going to do this and, and make money and maintain this lifestyle
0: yeah that's exciting It's all about, so in college, it's like, hey, how much beer can I drink and how much productivity can I create out of that? It's almost like what happens when you become an adult out of college, except you learn that you have to keep doing it over and over again. And then you realize, wait, I need money to keep this moving.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you also realize I can't drink as much beer as I used to. Otherwise, I'm going to pay for it.
0: That's true. And then three weeks later, I'm still hungover and dying. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know when you get 41 or 40 you'll realize that the beer stays with you a lot longer too
0: Ooh, that makes sense I think once you hit I figured out once you hit 30s your, cal- your new food that you have to include is not ca- your new carbohydrate is cauliflower and you have to mash it up and try to figure out how to make it the old stuff you used to enjoy multiple yeah. times throughout the day
1: Oh, really? I legitimately have a um, cauliflower pizza call my name So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's too funny.
0: That's uh, that's the excitement of life as you grow.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Hey man, we, you know, especially for those of us that have chosen to be, you know, active participants in our own lives, which is, you know, not walk around through like zombies. We want to be able to use this body we have right to the best of its ability to allow us to do what we want to do. And carrying around an extra 40 pounds makes that a lot tougher.
0: That's true. You already got the baby to truck, truck around. Now you got to carry an extra 40 pounds and it's too big of a pack. We got to lose some weight somewhere. and We can't lose the baby.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> don't want to. That's for sure.
0: That's right. So as you, were, you got the job out of college and you were moving forward in your internet career, what, how did you segue and move into a position to where you, were, you figured out you needed to enjoy your life and, and what did you do to make that happen?
1: Okay. So we're still, we still got some years to cover here and I have a weird life. Like I said, it's a weird journey. I
0: like so I was it. at
1: the internet office and it's a weird position to be in, you know, in your early 21 or 20, you're making million dollar deals. Cause nobody knows what the internet's all about. and No one can see how young I am, but getting a ton of experience. And one of those experiences was sitting in an office all day. And I was like, this is not me. <laughs> um, so literally quit my job, which by, you know, anybody's Imagination I had an amazing job. I had my CSCS, and they were paying for my education, continuing fitness, etc., and moved my way up the ladder, and threw a backpack on and went through Asia uh hit China but way back there it was totally different. My brother happened to be living there, which was great, and used that as a jump off spot to go through Tibet, Nepal, Thailand, etc. And I landed back in Santa Barbara and decided I'm just gonna be a you know work at the gym. So I was a head trainer for a gym for a while. And then I got recruited by the ISSA, a certification company, uh International Sports Sciences Association, to work in their education department, help them rewrite some textbooks and certification books. So I took that job, did that for a while. While I was working there, I started a fitness magazine. I told you I was crazy. And uh, left the ISSA, started a private training studio, which that model really didn't exist. I mean, it was existent, but it was really rare. Um, so while I was starting that training studio, I started a website called Fitness Professional Online. It still exists today. The only My goal there was just to give a free resource for the fitness industry because I loved it. And um, I ran the magazine, ran the studio, and I still consulted for ISSA because they were like, hey, we still want you here. So we'll still pay you and you can work remotely. So I was running those four jobs at once. And I did that for many, many years.
0: That's always fun. You're running so many things. And at some point you realize okay, I'm too segmented and I need to figure out my direction so that way I know I'm always doing what I enjoy doing. And I find that in a lot of people who are doing a bunch of different things. And so what happened after this? Did you figure, did you find something that helps you segue into where you wanted to be? Or is there more to the story?
1: I guess a little bit more to the story. And so I guess you gotta understand that, you know, Santa Barbara, if you don't know the area, but almost all my clients were multimillionaires, extremely successful people. Uh, we had celebrities in the facility, people you would just know, and everybody—I swear—everybody swear, everybody was telling me how lucky I was and how I had the dream. Um, you know, again, I—I I opened on State Street, if you know Santa Barbara. I was the youngest business owner there. I was at all the chamber events and all these things that I was doing. I was speaking. On paper, it was amazing. I had the ideal life, and all these successful people who were, you know, wealthier and older than I was, and my mentors. We're telling it was as good as it gets like you have it and the truth was on um, Fridays after work you know instead of even as a single guy right going downtown you know I knew I could walk into any club or bar not pay get my drinks paid for and really I went home and I would pour cocktails and sit in front of the TV I just wasn't happy I was honestly you know I look back at it especially I was living somebody else's life and I wasn't fulfilled and I'd love to sit here and paint you a story about how amazing it was and all these other things but it wasn't and that's when I actually approached my mentor, who at the time was running a billion, almost a billion dollar business. And he was in his 70s and I told him, you know, kind of like, look, I'm just not really satisfied. And he flat out told me that the, the life that I wanted to live, what I was describing of being able to travel and run successful companies was impossible, did not exist. And you would know his products, um, if I mentioned some of them to you, you would know some of the companies he owned. Was really really well known and that really deflated me and so that brought me forward to 2007 which was sitting at this cafe um, in Santa Barbara by myself and and not in a bad way I was actually in you know a total normal mood but I was running these companies and again we got to remember I have all these people that are, you know, are famous or well-known or a lot of them weren't well known but they're just very successful you know, telling me how amazing my life was because I was doing what I loved. I was successful. I was making money. I was living in Santa Barbara, all these things. And then I wrote, wrote in the – journal. that's when I sat down and wrote in the journal, you know, would my life, if someone followed me around for the last two years, would that be a bestseller? And more importantly, would it be a book I'd want to read? And would I be the hero in that story? And the answer to all of those questions was no. And Chandler, that's when I was like, fuck, something's wrong here like, am I, am I going to be that guy that at 70 or 80 years old, it has has a life full of regrets and a life full of, of things that I don't want to do. And am I going to be still, you know, going home at night and, you know, drinking again and, uh, just watching old reruns of movies and sitting by myself in my apartment. And the answer to that was hell no. (laughs) So that's when I made a change.
0: I like that. And that's a process of growth. It's figuring, doing something and then continuing to do it, talking to people who say you can't do what you want to do, pulling back a little and being like, well, shit now, what am I going to do with myself? And then turning completely around and saying, no, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to figure out the way to make this work. And to me, that's the ultimate idea of the entrepreneur. If you tell me I can't scale something, I'm going to figure out how to do it. If you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make sure that I manufacture this entire thing around what I, the way I want to live and the way I want to function and the way I want to live my life versus trying to create something you're a slave to. And, and the idea of moving around and travel and doing all these things 10 years ago was like, oh, you can't do that. That'll never happen. But now it's, you can run something off of your computer. You can get on meetings with people if you need to on the internet and you can live and travel wherever you want while you do it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, back then it was somewhat of a crazy idea, right? And when I was looking into this and people were telling me, no, you can't do it. I was looking around for a role model. Like I would have paid top dollar to find somebody and I had no problem investing in coaches and mentors I it just I couldn't find it. And so there was I'd be lying if I said a part of me didn't think, am I crazy? But there was something inside me that I just can't explain um, at a cellular level that was just like there is more. And I just I got to figure out how to get it. And if I have to figure it out myself, then that's what I got to do.
0: Can you imagine the advertisement ten years ago? Live the life you want. Make money through the internet. People would have been like, oh, you're a quack. You're crazy.
1: Now you can't <laughs> avoid it, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Now it's everywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean it's 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 nuts. Is and I kind of laugh at it when you see it all over the internet and Facebook ads or, or whatever. And then you look behind the curtain and you, you know, I, I actually coach one of these people. It, it's not exactly what it seems to be like they haven't actually run a successful company. Their success, their company is how to make money on the internet.
0: <laughs> That's always how it works. It's and my favorite is seeing the advertisement, learn how this five minute meeting helped us make a million dollar consulting agency.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, it is the, the worst. The, the funniest part about this is the two professions I've chosen that I really like are coaching and our internet marketing. Could you imagine two other, I can't think of two other industries that are filled with so many shams and and fakes and, and BS.
0: Oh, it's crazy. The the motto and the concept, I can't remember who said this, was marketers ruin everything. And it's ultimately true because they eventually, they're like, hey, wait, I don't even have to be a marketer. I can just tell people I made money and they'll wanna learn how I made money so I can make money off them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it really is sad and the the, the I truly believe that it's less than 10% of the people that are like that, you know, that are really out there. Uh, Unfortunately, they tend to beat the loudest drum, right? The fitness industry is the same thing, right? You and I both come from the fitness industry and have a background there. You know, when you look at it, most all, in my experience, most people that are in the fitness industry have a great heart and they're in it for the right reasons but there are that 10% of just total douchebags. And those people are the ones that you see out there all the time. They're the ones that are in front of the media for one reason or another. And they don't know, you know, their bicep from their leg.
0: Yeah. They're just really good at marketing themselves. And you're just like, Oh my gosh. And when people follow that, you realize that this, this whole fraud and this shadow thing actually works. People believe this kind of stuff. And so for myself, I have to get out of the mindset of that doesn't, that's terrible. It'll never work, but then you see it working. So then you have to put yourself in a position to where you kind of understand how to make it work yourself, but in an ethical way. And for those 10%, it kind of pushes their unethical tactics out of the way.
1: Which yeah, is man. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think, I don't even think they're necessarily good at marketing. I think in, in my experience, I think they're really good at being loud, that's right? True. They're that they're the loud guy at the party or the loud guy in school or, just the obnoxious asshole, frankly. And for some reason or another, our society is attracted to that. It is kind of that, I'm gonna, the Kardashians, right? Like that's, mm. it's that lifestyle. Of, let me look at so and so. And it drives me friggin' nuts uh, to see and to hear that. And you see it so much. I've stepped a little bit outside of the day to day of the fitness world, right? And I don't own a gym anymore. And so it doesn't bother me as much seeing people in a local market, but you know, you see this person online on, gosh, it could be Facebook, Instagram, link, whatever social media channel you choose to go to. And I would encourage everybody, anybody listening to this is check out their background, check out their recommendations and figure out what they've really done. It's one thing to look good. It's a totally different thing to help somebody else feel or look good.
0: Oh, yeah. Some of the best athletes I've ever seen in all sports are the worst coaches I've ever seen. And it's it's a whole different mentality teaching people things. And it's almost a person who didn't understand anything at the beginning, had no athletic ability and learned this whole thing and struggled themselves. That ends up being the best teacher because they understand the progressions, the concepts, the ideas and the systems and the strategies that they had to learn and create to get this. Then they can remember and replicate that to other people.
1: You're so true. So you look at the fitness industry. This is something that probably most people don't know is, I would guess, and I'm totally making this number up, but 70% of fitness gym owners you you ask were once chubby kids. And then I would bet uh, even a higher number of agency owners who run good agencies ran a brick and mortar business and had to figure out how to market themselves and then they transitioned to running an agency because they knew the system. And same thing with life coaches. Life coaches had a, had, a, had a crap ton of problems and they figured it a way out if they're good. Oh, yeah, that's
0: totally true. And I can tell you from experience, the way I learned all this stuff was opening my brick and mortar business and struggling through it and learning and fixing things and modifying and then creating systems around what I learned. But if I just started an agency when I was 21, I wouldn't have known anything. And I would just been like, hey, look, guys, I know how to do stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, and it's amazing. I get hit up all the time. I'm sure you do too by people like agency owners. that are like, Hey, how do you do this? This, I'm just starting my own agency. And you're like, Oh man, do you gotta, it's like anything you have to get your feet wet. And I'm totally cool with that, but you have to make the mistakes. And, and somebody else so, so eloquently said the difference between a master and someone just starting is the master already knows how to get out of the mistakes. The person just starting doesn't even know exist.
0: Exactly. You, the master's the one who can say, Hey, you're going to fail it. All twenty-seven of these different points, and here's how I got myself out of it when I did fail, and here's what made sense and how it worked, and and that's huge. And that's when you're ultimately at the level where you can mentor people. And you're going to screw this up, so let me help you before you do it.
1: <laughs> totally. man. I mean, I had a guy right before we got on this, and uh, I sent you a message. I had a guy on LinkedIn shoot off to me, and I think he was a success architect. Was his job? T- was his you know LinkedIn headline?
0: That's fancy. Uh,
1: Yeah, and he could be great. I don't know. We're we're going. I'm sure he'll reply to me, but um, his his reply to me was, "How are you such a great great business coach?" And he, I'm using that context of the of the of the tonality, of course. (laughs) Yeah. And I just replied simply, "I've, you know, well, first, I don't consider myself a business coach. Let's just be straight there. Second is if if I'm good at it, it's only because I've made every mistake at least once and probably two to three times. That's it.
0: Exactly." It's, it's crazy, it's how do you know what you're doing and how did you become successful? Well, because I failed smartly. <laughs> and smart failing is when you go and you fail, but then you're like, okay, well let me change a couple of things, then you fail again, and then you change two things, then you fail again, and you finally succeed, and you're like, hey, this is what I did, this is my process, and this is how I, I failed smartly.
1: What would you say is your biggest failure in, in business?
0: I'd say my biggest failure, especially in the beginning, was being naive and not understanding that how much it took and how much knowledge and how many things i had to be organized and have organized to make work it took me a long time to understand that i needed to open up a google drive and have a google Doc and folder for literally every single thing i do in my entire life and to systematize all the things i do so i can replicate them before i started doing that before i really got good at that i was scattered and i I couldn't remember things i couldn't replicate things it was hard training people to do things and So I think that was one of the biggest things for me, the biggest learning experience, especially in the beginning was being organized is more important than anything you'll ever do because it's gonna be your scalability, it's gonna be how you're gonna make that stuff work in the future, and it's gonna be how you repeat that and train staff.
1: Awesome, man, and then I think anybody listening to that or owns a business, that just pause there, go back and listen to what you just said and do it, right? (laughs) I mean. Exactly. It's amazing, so what what was your turning point?
0: My turning point, I think one of the most, probably one of the best things that I did was I found Steph who's been in partnership with me with everything we've ever done. Even if she thinks it's stupid, she still does it. And she's really organized. So I kind of paid attention and I watch what people do and I look at what their strengths are and kind of try to understand how I could do that. And so I I watched and I figured out like, hey, she's really organized. Anything we talk about, she has written down or she has notes about it or she's already got it somewhat stabilized. And so then I I started to to decide like hey if we want to take this to the next level and this was probably the first year in our business back when I was twenty five twenty four mm-hmm. and I realized okay. I need to start systematizing all this stuff because if I don't, we're just gonna be in a roller coaster of success and failure forever. But if I can at least organize this and replicate this, then I can do it and I can give it to her and she can replicate it and we can work together. And that's when I really learned how to work as a cohesive team, how to keep myself organized and how to basically document everything we do.
1: That's awesome, man. That's, I mean, it's it's such, such gold. I think systematizing your business is step number one, especially if you want freedom. Right, business owners all we all everybody you ask business owners it's a joke, but why'd you start a business? It's oh to get freedom, and then you ask a business owner three years, how's that freedom going?
0: Yeah, and you're like, well, how many hours you work? And they're like, all of them. Yeah, "Yeah, yeah, we have a problem.
1: I sleep business.
0: Yeah, I'm like okay. Or when you get on a call and someone's like, hey, I just wanted to shoot some questions off you and ask and get a bunch of information, and I'm like, all right, so step one, what are you going to document this with? And you get the answer of. Uh, I don't know. I was just, just going to listen. I'm like, okay, so we're going to open up a Google document and we're going to open up a drive folder and a folder for conversations. And you're going to write notes about everything we did. And then you're going to create an action plan around all this. And people are, that's just, it's this, it seems simple, but it's the most difficult step to actually get anybody to do or think about.
1: I love that, man. I'm stealing that by the way. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's super it's cool. Stuff.
0: Yeah. It's that process of, and for me, it's if I'm talking to another human and this is, I'd say probably the second thing that I really learned was empathy and not empathy in the fact that I have to be nice to everybody, but empathy in the fact that I need to understand and know what they're thinking, doing and how they're going to do or what they're going to do before they do it. So when they get on a call with me, I already have their questions mapped out to a degree and I already know what they need to do. So that way, when we talk, it's okay, here's what you're going to do. Here's how it's organized and, and how we're going to move forward. And that empathy was huge because it it helps me develop an understanding and be more, I guess, caring towards what other people are going to say before they do it.
1: I think that's that's so understated what you just said. I mean, and and so right on because, you know, obviously we don't know anybody else's journey, right? And we don't know where they're coming from, their backgrounds or anything else. And, And that is such a critical aspect of not projecting our own, our thoughts, beliefs, et cetera, onto somebody else before having the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's huge because we have our perceived ideas and there are perceptions, but the perceptions of others are, they could be a significantly different perception. They could alter everything we could ever imagine. And some people get angry when they get different perceptions. But for me, it's, hey, I already already thought about the way you're going to think about these things and I'm already emotionally constructed to where I can articulate a great response and have a good conversation with you and ultimately really help you.
1: That's awesome. Have Have you ever studied coaching?
0: I have not. I went to, so my college experience was biology and biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of the, the, I guess, the psychologically oriented courses. But for me, it was just always paying attention to people mm-hmm. and understanding the way people are going to react and then being patient. Patience was huge. A lot of people don't have that patience and they don't care. But if you can really develop that patience and you listen and pay attention, it's it's all about watching what people do. So what are mm-hmm. you going to do? And, and then watching what you do and how you do it. Because the, the things people say are a lot different than the things people do.
1: Yeah. EQ versus IQ, right?
0: Yeah, that's huge. And you look at the top people, there's all the big talking heads out there. You can listen to them all day. But if you just watch their structure and their process, you learn a ton from them.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I always scream from the top of, the, of my lungs that people should have mentors and You can have informal mentors, right? You can have people that you study and watch remotely now in the day of the internet. It's you can, like you said, you can watch and see what people are doing and see how they're behaving or performing and get so much from it. Good and bad.
0: Absolutely. And it's a process of growth for yourself as well. It's helped me continue to be a really patient person and an understanding person. And then I grow because I start to think, about how people think and what they're gonna do and how they react and it puts you in a position to where you know what they're gonna do before they do it. And it's it's not as easy as it sounds, but and it takes a lot of patience and a lot of understanding and a lot of thinking and uh, the ability to step back and pull yourself out of a situation and being mindful of what's going on.
1: Do you ever find, I hope you're okay with me asking you questions. Um, oh yeah, these are great. Cool, do you ever find yourself in a situation um, Where it's like, okay, I'm putting myself into Doug's shoes and I think I'm going to know what Doug's going to say before he says it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get Doug who's a little crazy and I say something or just say something different for whatever reason. Um, Does that ever happen to you? And if it does, does that throw you off?
0: It does happen, and I'm usually at least prepared for it. So I'll th- I will think I know what's going to happen, what they're going to do based off our either previous interactions or looking at what they're doing around the internet and all that. And if they throw a pivot shift and they're like completely different than what I thought, I'll, t- I'll take a step back and say, holy shit, that's way different than I thought was going to happen. <laughs> and I start asking questions about it. Like, okay, so why does this make sense to you? How did you come to this conclusion? What's going on? And it's for me, it's just learning to pivot shift on the fly. And it's an- the understanding of life isn't always going to work the way I think it's going to work. And if it doesn't, I can't freak out and I have to be ready to pivot, shift, adjust, and modify.
1: Dude, to me, that's the magic right there. It's not the anticipation, but it's the, to me, it's the realization that, hey, I could be wrong and I'm totally cool with that. And now I'm going to ask questions so I can learn more. That okay. is a total mind shift. I'll just that's say shift.
0: That's That's being able to say, <laughs> Like, okay, so I didn't do this correctly, or maybe I am hey, wrong, let's educate me or let me figure out how to educate myself so I can create a better solution and a better idea. And it's a part of just swallowing your pride. Hey, you're not right all the time. And half the time, you are going to have preconceived ideas that aren't the same. And so then you just learn, all right, let's fix this, adjust, let's modify and let's figure out the solution.
1: What's the difference between being open and being closed, right? that's really what it is if you're open to the possibility of something then you're open to all possibilities but if you expect something you can only either get the one way or another it's black and white
0: yeah that's it and you can't the world we live in is a four-dimensional world and so the black and white doesn't make sense and if you're always in a black and white position you can't grow anywhere. And you develop a reputation as a hothead or someone who's unable to move and is super rigid. And we can't we can't grow and we can't help others if we're rigid because other people aren't going to be rigid.
1: Yeah, and you can't grow, right? I mean, you know what you think right now, right? But if if you didn't take the idea to be patient, as you said, and listen, you won't, you wouldn't be able to expand and grow yourself. And if you're not growing, you're dying. So I think that's a, such a such an often misunderstood thing with people, right? They. They always want to, to put out their dogma and say what they think rather than being open to the possibility of learning something new and shifting and growing.
0: Exactly. And my favorite part is when I'm wrong, because that gives me the opportunity to be like, huh, this is a new dynamic. Let's let's think about this. Let's figure this out. And then ultimately, I grow stronger and better as a person. And in, a, in terms of what I know, because of that one time, that time I was wrong or that situation where I, I judge the situation incorrectly. And that's how, like you're saying, how I ultimately grow and how we all grow. It's not by how often we're right. Because if you're always right, you never learn anything. You never grow because it's just the same process. But if you're wrong and you do things differently or you adjust or you fail, that's when you grow. Because that's when you learn to fail smartly or you learn to be wrong smartly.
1: Yeah. Maybe this is why I'm so happy because I agree with you and I'm often wrong.
0: That's right. See? We're champions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, my wife would tell you the same thing. You know, so <laughs> I'm wrong a lot.
0: It's the idea of being the smartest dumb person in the room. I'm going to be the guy who sits in the corner. I won't say anything to anyone. If someone asks me, I'll start talking. And if someone's a, a loud person in the room, I'll listen to them and just give feedback. But I'm not going to be the one who's all over the place and has this idea that I'm always right. It's it's what you see when like politics get ugly. Oh, you don't like what I say? I now hate you.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, well, it's, there's that idea, right? You should never be the smartest person in the room. And I totally agree with that, which is easy for me. And if I'm ever the smartest person in the room, it's really a problem for everybody else.
0: Totally. And if you're the smartest person in the room, it's trying, time to find a new room to sit in.
1: For sure. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> doubt about that. I just, it doesn't really become a problem for me.
0: Yeah. And that's the key. And it's being open minded. It doesn't matter where, where you're at, what you're doing. It's, hey, I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to learn and I'm here to grow. And that's it. And if I'm wrong, that's cool. If I'm right, that's cool. We're probably going to have a little mixture of both. But because of that, we're all gonna be better off in the long run.
1: Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm gonna keep asking you questions because I'm fascinated. Um, <laughs> so for someone like yourself, I mean, you're obviously ambitious. Look at this, I mean, you're, you're, doing, you're doing a show, you're hosting it, you're, you're inviting conversations that matter, which is amazing. Who are the people that you look up to and follow?
0: You know, there's really, in my life, there's one person I look back who really had a, a big impact and it was my grandfather. He was this guy, and I always talk about creating this culture of caring around everybody and everything you do and making sure that everybody sees you as the one who's smiling, positive, happy, and ready to help and commit to make a change. And, and that's how he was. We were kids and he was the guy in the community who would walk walk around with a smile. Nobody could say no to him because he was so just genuinely happy and positive all the time. He never had anything bad to say about anybody. And still to this day, there's scholarships and memorials after him. and. He was the one person who could walk into a room, everybody would talk to him and have a good time, he would have something great to say. And even if someone didn't agree with him, they would still have a cordial conversation because of how happy and how much he gave back to people. And looking back at that, it's something, and if that was if I could talk to someone again, it would be him. And he's passed away at this point. But it's that idea that if I can put myself in a position like him to where I'm creating that culture of caring amongst everybody I interacting with and trying to create that positive change and solution and work to make everybody's life better, including my own, then I'm always going to put myself into a position to where everybody, at least genuinely to a level, thinks that I'm here for a good reason.
1: Man, I don't think you're trying to do it. I think you're doing it. So uh, I think your grandfather would be proud. It's amazing that so few of us have those role models to step up, to step up into. And I just had a conversation yesterday, trying to think of what day it was, uh, with somebody uh, who happens to also be in the fitness industry. And we were talking about offline that um, the need for role models and how who are the role models right now? And this person happened to be in their 60s. But who are the role models today that today's teenagers are growing up with? And um, he shared with me that he's trying to start a, an event for teenagers and, you know, to really just give back. And he was saying when you ask most teenagers, and teenage boys was what he was talking about, or teenage men, uh, most of them don't have an answer.
0: That's true. They... It's interesting because they grow up with the celebritification, if that's mm-hmm. a word, of society. And now. that's what that, yeah, it's true. Get on Snapchat, you can see celebritification. <laughs> but they grow up with just seeing that kind of stuff out there, but they're not really sure who they're supposed to follow, what they're supposed to do, who they're supposed to look up to, because there's no one that's, I guess, they have to be celebrated to a point and they have to understand those people and they have to feel connected to those people. And so I definitely don't think there's enough people to connect to for teenagers because they have to feel like they they fit in together and they make sense together and we don't have that outside the celebrity zone
1: it is it, it's really interesting well this is a good you know this is a spotlight for you to step into man
0: yeah that's right i'm gonna go do some talks talk to some kids <laughs> get There them you on go. The you got some,
1: what's that get them on the podcast <laughs> I, I why not or get people you know this is uh, this is something i'm becoming more and more passionate about but I mean, your podcast is, is your media outlet, right? And then you can bring people on who could be role models, or you can get the kids and, and, and tailor it to them. I mean, you're obviously leaving a legacy, and you're setting the stage to do so. Um, it's just how you want to do it.
0: Yeah, and that's huge. And I do looking back, one of my favorite things to do is coach our youth weightlifting program. And just you develop a relationship with these kids to where you're their coach and you're their mentor. They follow you on social media. They listen to the things you say, and you ultimately leave a big impact because there's three people who can leave an impact on kids there's their parents there's their teachers or their educators and then there's their coach and mentors and their coach often becomes their mentor
1: oh yeah and well, oftentimes their parent right exactly you you half the time when
0: you're coaching these kids you got them three hour a day three hours a day you see them more than their parents do and it, and it's interesting so the things you say even if you don't think they're listening they they listen to every word you say
1: yeah Yeah. yeah we'll wait till you know you got a baby on the way just wait they monkey see monkey do is never more relevant at least to me than having an infant or a baby in the house but I look back um, you know in my early 20s having a private studio and having the honor of coaching high school kids you know when I look back now that I'm in my 40s I don't have regrets but I definitely could have worked I think harder and, and realized more at how much they were watching I guess I always knew that they were watching things I did but now watching my son who's 14 months I realized they were probably absorbing a lot more than I thought.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. You don't recognize, I have little nieces and nephews everywhere, and you don't realize that they're watching everything you do until they start emulating you. And then you say, huh, they really do listen, even if they say (laughs) they don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Adults can be the same way, though, sometimes, right?
0: Oh, it's true. I still sit and watch what people do. I don't necessarily emulate everything, but I still watch and pay attention to all the movements, interactions, and conversations that are happening.
1: I'm um, the same way, man. You can learn so much by just taking the moment to listen to somebody and, and watch and observe um, so much more than, than just talking.
0: It's huge. Keyword is just listen. Sometimes it just takes shutting your brain down a little bit and listening to what people are saying and then thinking about it. Sometimes if someone says something that pivot shifts me, I think about it for two weeks. And then finally I'll be like, huh, that was actually a really good thought. They didn't even know, what they, they had no idea that, that was going to have such an impact on me
1: yeah it's awesome
0: which is really exciting this has been a great conversation this is one of the longest podcasts i've had in a while
1: yeah i mean i honestly i could keep going because i have so many questions for you but I, <laughs> I didn't want to take up all the time um uh in doing so but i think it's awesome i think there's so many things to dive into and unpack here
0: definitely maybe we i think we should do a part two well just two an hour episode each and we'll just keep diving in keep going forward because we can keep going and have an endless amount and create some consumable stuff
1: love it man i'm in
0: let's do it thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast if people do want to know more about you how can they contact you or find your thoughts and ideas
1: um i'm pretty much all over social media and um uh, so they can reach out to me anywhere i like i like to think at least i'm extremely accessible um, the easiest place if they just want to look at more information about, you know, all those crazy pivots is just simply my website, which is my name, Doug dugholtonline.com. I couldn't get dugholt.com. So I had to go with Doug Holt online.
0: I like that. It gives that little bit of flair to it. Doug Holt <laughs> online.
1: <laughs> I, I need all the help I can get, bro. That's
0: right. And if you guys are listening and you want a mixtape, Doug would be happy to create a mixtape of his voice for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a mixtape uh, voiceover professional
0: champion. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on, Doug. And let's definitely get set up and scheduled for part two because I think we had a really good conversation. We can carry this on. And if you guys have questions for myself or Doug, just shoot me an email Chandler at com, and we'll go back and forth and we'll answer those. And that is all she wrote.
1: Thanks, thanks so thanks, much, Doug. man.
0: You're welcome. Thank you. See ya.